Hello, everybody. This is your head coach, Tony Staffieri, with another edition of the Hoop Assist Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking about my definite dozen for young coaches, a collection of ideas I have gathered from my many failures as a head coach at various stops along the way. But first, I want to remind you to check out our website, www.hoopassist.com, for the latest in basketball drills, signature moves, latest trends in Hooper gear and footwear, as well as a blog section that includes insight from many of the coaches and trainers at all levels. Now, here is my definite dozen for young coaches making the transition to being a head coach for the first time. I hope you enjoy it, and please feel free to leave comments or ideas of your own. Again, this is a collection of 12 things that I've put together um, from my time as a head coach. I've been a head coach at the collegiate level in both men's and women's basketball uh, for over 15 years. Uh, and these are you know, some of the things I've gathered and I've tried to impart uh, such wisdom on to former players that have turned into coaches themselves, uh, other coaches that I've come in contact with through clinics or uh, camps or just, you know, um, in, in meeting all around the country. Um, these are probably 12 things that I wish I knew back then uh, 15 years ago. Uh, so let's get started. Uh, number one, late in games. Run your baseline out-of-bounds play as a press breaker. Uh, this one I actually got um, a long time ago from Morgan Wooten the legendary high school coach uh, for many, many years down at uh, DeMatha High School outside of Washington, D.C. Um, this one, I, I, when I heard it, I was, it was, it was, it was very intrigued by this. And I, when he explained it, I, I thought to myself, boy, I, I can't imagine not doing this uh, late in games. And I, his rationale was, was pretty simple, and, and I've used it ever since. You know, using your best baseline out-of-bounds play typically gets your players going to the basketball, um, just like you would be under your own basket. Um, it gets players moving. It, it, I also notice that they're way more comfortable. Players are very comfortable running something um, that you typically run in the half court um, to score um, to get free. And obviously late in games, you know, the goal is to get the basketball inbounds, especially if you're protecting a lead or you just need to get it inbounds if you're uh, short on timeouts, uh, time pressures, things like that. Um, so I really, really, uh, this this is actually I won a couple games like this throughout the years. Um, even got a guy free in the uh, front court with it um, to uh, ice a game. Uh, we were up one, I think, with like four seconds to go, and we were having a heck of a time. I had just called timeout, and you know, in the back of my mind, I'm going, "All right, forget press breaker." Let's uh, let's go to this out of bounds play, and the kids kind of looked at me like, "Okay, that's kind of odd," and um, sure enough, it worked. So um, we gained a lot of confidence, and we did it quite a bit um, for the next year or two after that um, when we were trying to get the ball inbounds uh, late in the game. So definitely recommend it. Um, it's you know great to pull out of your pocket late in the game. Uh, number two, always change your defense when opposing the opposing coach calls a timeout, even if you don't have a zone. Um, and I, I find this happens probably more at the collegiate level um, than any other level uh, than, than I've that I've observed. Um, you know, this is it, this might seem obvious, but it's it's really you know I I find that coaches get so predictable with their defenses and 
Um, typically, when your opponent calls a timeout, it's it's when they have the ball, um, and they're they're typically spending thirty to thirty seconds to a minute fifteen diagramming something that they see that they can get an advantage in, and and um, you know just changing your defense might slow that down. Um, it may not, you know, you you might not feel comfortable in it yourself, but it, the more uh, discomfort you can cause your opponent, maybe the uh, the the better it is for it. Also gets them, you know, to 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 waste a timeout, and that's always a good thing. When you can get your opponent to waste timeouts, that's a good thing. Um, if you don't play zone at all, you know, if you're strictly man to man, 100% every possession, um, I recommend, you know, maybe running, you know, a trap or you know something that you don't typically do every time down in the front, you know, in the half court on defense, you know change it up just for that particular possession, you know, kind of a, a one sequence, uh, defense and, and you can have calls for it. You know, I, I think, you know, looking back over the years, you know, I, I play both man and zone. I predominantly play zone, but, um, you know, I, I color code all my defenses. So we had a special color, you know, I think it was black where we would come out, you know, and, and after timeout defense, uh, I would just say, all right, we're coming out in black here on this next, you know, out of the timeout, no matter what they're running. And, you know, we'd run a trap or we'd have a different zone look, a different, you know, front, you know, do just something different um, just to get them off balance a little bit. And, you know, ultimately it, it ended up wasting their timeout. Number three, spend 20 minutes of practice on press breaking in the first four weeks of the season. Um you know, uh, early on in my career, you know, as, as, as many of you probably are, you know, taking jobs, taking over programs that weren't very successful. Um, if you're fortunate enough to take over a successful program, then you, you probably don't need my podcast for sure. But, um, you know, typically you're playing, you know, undermanned or you, you don't have as much talent or, you know, your, your team isn't very good in certain areas. And mine specifically, I had issues with uh, point guard play and, you know, just being able to handle backcourt pressure. Um, so I ended up, you know, and, and I was in women's basketball early on in my career before there was a 10-second rule um, in women's basketball at the collegiate level. So we could ultimately spend, um, you know, all 30 seconds of the shot clock in the backcourt if we wanted to. So I was actually running offensive sets in the backcourt because my team was so bad um, at breaking pressure. Uh, so we would actually run an offense back there just to just to have some organization um, and, and avoid turnovers. Um, didn't help us on the other end, though. We had a very short clock to work with. But um, so I, you know, I learned early on that, you know, press breaker has to be in your practice plan early on. Um, I find teams, n- no matter who's on your schedule in the first three or four games, somebody is pressing you as soon as you get off the bus. So, you know, I, I would definitely recommend having press breaker in from day one and just really drilling it and drilling it and drilling it uh, the first four weeks of the season. Um, Number four, spend 20 minutes of practice on zone offense in the first two weeks of the season. Um, I think this is unbelievably important um, simply because my own defensive philosophy, I, I really like to play zone uh, early in the season because typically teams aren't shooting the ball with much rhythm um, right off the bat. Um, if you're playing teams that are shooting high percentages from you know 20 to 22 feet uh, early in the season, then you know, you may have a, you may have a long season on your hands, but, 
definitely work on zone offense because you you inevitably will come up against a team early on. Um, if you're at the small college level, you're playing back to back nights. Um, in opening tournaments, if you're, you know, in, in, at a, a lower level in high school, you might have a very little time to spend uh, with your kids before the first couple of games of the season. So, you know, God forbid some team come out in a zone the first, you know, five minutes of the game and your team's just kind of running around, you know, getting a feel for what they should be running. Uh, so definitely have zone offense down in and cold uh, the first few weeks of practice um, and really work on it. Even if you don't think you're going to see much zone, um, you never know. You you want to have that rhythm coming out of the gate so that as the season goes on, your team gets very, very comfortable playing against zones. And that actually leads me into my fifth one, number five, is play zone in the first game of the season uh, or the first weekend, however your your schedule is structured. Um I, I I can't emphasize this enough, and as I said earlier, I I'm, I'm play a lot of hybrid defenses, so I, I love to play zone defense as much as anyone, um, except maybe Jim Beheim. But um, you know, playing zone in that first couple of games of the season, teams are just not ready for it. They're not comfortable. They don't see it, uh, especially if you're playing teams that are 100% man, predominantly man to man. They're not going to see it in practice. Um, so it's a really good wrinkle. Um, it's definitely something to have in. Um, I've no, my time, you know, spent in basketball. My teams did not shoot the ball very well the first few games of the season, and whether that was my fault or not, um, you know, shots didn't go down as as much as they they do in in late January and February, and certainly in early March uh, when it comes time for postseason. So, um, you know, that's something I I always tell coaches, even if you're not a zone person, you know, have something to just throw in the first couple of games. You might be able to steal a steal a win early in the season and really set the tone for yourself. Uh, number six, get really good at playing a triangle and two defense and save it for the postseason or the second time you're playing a really good team. Um, you know, this this is something I, I learned. I heard Rick Majera say this at a coach's clinic uh, maybe, you know, a while back now. Um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but... Um, you know, he used it a lot in March. You know, I remember watching his teams at Utah, you know, inevitably in the second or third round, Sweet 16 time, you know, he'd come out in a triangle and two on Carolina or one of the big, you know, blue blood schools and, you know, it would just completely change the complexion of the game. Um, you know, I've, I've done this quite a bit. Um, it's good to practice it early in the season. The other thing I found is that when you start, uh, putting these defenses in your back pocket, it really gives your kids a lot of confidence. You know, you can you can call a timeout and say, all right, we're going to go to whatever your verbal is for it. You can say, we're going to run this defense against these two players. And, you know, kids just eat it up. They, they love things like that. And um, people in the stands and parents and people who really just don't know the game of basketball very well will, will look at it and go, well, why, why are they doing that? You know, but uh, trust me, your kids will buy into it if you really sell it and say, listen, we're going to put this in our back pocket and we're going to throw some different wrinkle at them in the postseason. I've done this a few times when I was a very low seed in a conference tournament uh, or most recently at the high school level when I was a, an extremely low seed in a state tournament playing one of the better teams in the state. You know, we came out in this defense, and it, it really slowed the complexion of the game down early on, and it kind of calmed the nerves for our kids. It didn't necessarily do it for the other team because they had to start thinking or calling early timeouts. But um, so that triangle in two is uh, something that 
you know, I, I recommend getting really good at and then saving it uh, for when you might need to pull it out. Number seven, uh, be sure to watch Hubie Brown's Winning with Less Talent DVD. And uh, that's brought to you by Championship Videos. Uh, no, this is not an infomercial for Championship Videos, but I can tell you if you had to watch one DVD um, you know, on your on your list right now, your viewing list, you've got to watch this DVD if you haven't. Um, this video absolutely changed the way I uh, looked at working with, you know, some of the teams I had, especially the, the early teams I had were not very good. You know, I had young teams with, with young players, freshmen and sophomores, and, you know, there's, you know, the old saying is there's a reason jobs are open. Um, some of the jobs I got were open for a reason because the teams weren't very good, and um, you know, Hubie Brown's DVD uh, really addresses some of the, 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 the nuances of, of having to play, you know, better competition and some of the wrinkles you can throw at them, like the triangle and two and uh, offenses to run against junk defenses. And, you know, there's some really cool transition stuff in there and, you know, how to, how to you know, control the game so you can even out, uh, you know, the time elements and all kinds of really cool things, things that just really made me think, you know, I, I had never, you know, Hubie Brown, I, I, you know, I'm a disciple of Hubie Brown, just like many of us that have worked the five-star basketball camp, so pretty much anything Hubie says, I'll do, uh, but this DVD really brought it home for me, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Number eight, uh, must have an offense to beat a junk defense. So, you know, that's going along with, with number seven. In Hubie's video, he has a, a great offense uh, to, to run against a box and one defense. I think he got it from uh, the Argentinian women's national team. You know, he saw it in an Olympic uh, trial or Olympic event and said, wow, you know, they were prepared for that, you know, box and one defense. And it was an actual offense that they ran. And um, so he goes step by step through that. So I definitely recommend, you know, again, with that video, you know, that's one of the the bonuses. You get one of those offenses in it. But, you know, be able to to have an offense, you know, like I said earlier, you know, something in your back pocket. Because, you know, if you're not a really good team, but you might have one player that can score the basketball, if I was coaching against you, I would definitely try to take that player out of the game with some junk and, and you know, it's worked for me in the past, you know, teams that relied on one score, I was able to take, you know, him or her away and then, you know, really neutralize the game, even though my team wasn't as deep or talented. Um, so, you know, simply because the coaches that I that I was coaching against did not have an, an offense uh, to run against it and we were, we were prepared. Um, so I definitely would recommend having one of those. Uh, if you don't, you know, there are plenty of them out there. I, I, I recommend it. Um, and don't just say, hey, we're going to run this and, you know, be stubborn, you know, have an, in, an intention, be intentional about, you know, running a set just for a particular junk defense. Number nine, having a fouling philosophy up three late in the game and be sure your players know it from day one. This one, this is a, a, a most recent one for me. I, I've, you know, had, had like I said, coached at the collegiate level, most recently um, at the high school level as a varsity head coach uh, in girls basketball. Um, as of when I took over the program, the first thing I said to myself is, you know, I've, I've lost a couple of games recently that um, my team was, was up three and we really just didn't have a strategy and another team, you know, hit the three at the end of the game, forced overtime and then just, you know, wore us out. We couldn't beat them in overtime. And, um, 
that's where I said, you know, our kids have got to know what the rule is. And I actually started last season, last winter, I started my first meeting on the first day of practice with uh, the philosophy uh, for up three late in the game. And my players looked at me like, wow, this coach is, is losing his mind here. I know he's getting old, but he's lost it. And uh, as I explained it, they started to realize how important it was to me. Because um, as we all know, what we emphasize is what our players will ultimately do at the end of the day. Um, so I was very, very intentional about letting them know. And I, I will quiz them throughout practice uh, during um, what I call, you know, um, our, our when we get water, we do, you know, we call them timeouts. You know, when we do this, I will pull somebody aside and say, all right, what, what's our philosophy up three late in the game? That way, every kid knows there's no question. When you call a timeout, you don't have to explain yourself four times and then watch the players screw up the execution um, coming out of the timeout. It also, you know, I think, again, it instills confidence. You know, I tell our players to go home after the first week of practice, um, which is usually around Thanksgiving. I usually tell them, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner, I want you to go around the table after you say grace and after you give thanks for everything uh, for the for the for the year before. I want you to tell your family what our philosophy is for up three late in the game, so that nobody in the stands has to yell at me and has to tell me I don't know what I'm doing as a coach because our kids did not execute up three late in the game. I want our parents and our you know, fans and my athletic administration to know. I even tell my AD, this is our philosophy, write it down. Um, that way, everybody in the gym knows what we're going to do, and there's no question about it. Number 10, you have to drill team building and communication. You've got to make it part of the practice plan, specifically in the first two weeks of the season. Um, as many of you know, you know, just putting on sneakers, the same sneakers, the same jerseys, the same, you know, travel gear does not make you a team. Um, those are things you have to build. And sometimes it takes years. You know, I've, I've worked in college programs where, you know, it took, you know, three years to build team. I've worked in other programs where the kids just meshed and bonded so well with the coaching staff through recruiting and, you know, just workouts and things like that, that, you know, we became a team very fast. Um, but I learned early on that you have to build those into your practice plan. You can't just demand somebody be a good teammate. You can't demand that they talk, uh, especially in today's day and age, because nobody talks anymore, right? We all, you know, podcast everything. We all tweet everything. We all Instagram and Snapchat everything. So, you know, communication is certainly uh, becoming a dying art. You know, it, it's very difficult. And on the basketball floor, you can't tweet your intentions. You can't, you know, Facebook message somebody that, you know, the screen's coming left or right. So you really have to drill that. And if you don't drill it and you don't demand it early in practice, your team isn't going to communicate. And you can scream at them and you can make them run uh, until you get tired. Um, they're not going to talk and they're not going to appreciate each other until you make it part of the practice. Um, and that goes for coaches too. Uh, I really hold myself accountable as a teammate with my teams. You know, I, I want to go through everything they do. I, I jump into team building and communication exercises with them. Uh, so they get used to my style. They get used to my expectations. And I, you know, I learn a lot from them as well. Um, so making it part of your practice plan, I think is, is absolutely important. Uh, number 11, Practice your timeouts every day. Um, you have to practice how players will sit, how players will stand, um, organize them, put them into the practice plan. So 
Uh, one of my rules is uh, our captains and players, you know, ultimately our captains, get to call one time out of practice. Um, and I've had this happen a few times, you know, maybe half a dozen times over the years. Um, not all the time, depending on your team. If you have really good leadership, it, it will happen uh, a few times where the players will just call timeout and get together, and it's their timeout. You don't have to be in it. If they want you in it, that's fine. Um, but you don't have to be in it. And, uh, you know, let the players sort it out themselves. If they're not having a good practice, instead of having you yell at them, because I'm sure they're sick of you yelling at them, um, you get, you know, give them a chance to call a timeout and organize themselves. Um, but I really think it's important to practice your timeouts because, you know, at the college level, especially Division One, I, I think they get 30-second timeouts. I think they get four of them now. Um, and, and certainly the media timeouts help, but you know, you don't get a long time with your team in a huddle, certainly not enough time to to address the major issues if you're having them in a game. Um, so it's really important that your players know how to sit. Um, when I line my players up for a timeout, I put my point guard right in front of me, directly in front of me, and then we line up how we run the floor. Uh, so to his or her right, I have the two, and then the, the, the four or the, or the five, excuse me, on to the right of that person. And then the three is to the immediate left of the one and the four on the outside. So it's, you know, one, two, three, four, and five all flanked out the way they would run the floor. And that way my point guard is directly in front of me and he or she can eyeball to eyeball me and just hear everything I'm saying and I know where they are. I don't have to search. I love it because when I, you know, take my knee in the timeout, I know all the people that are in the game are right in front of me and they're listening and they're organized. Um, and I think it goes a long way because you don't want to waste time in those timeouts. And then my bench players, the, the, the kids that aren't in the game, you know, they have responsibilities. If they have, you know, we buddy up, so they have to get a towel and a drink for their buddy, their, their, their timeout buddy. Um, and, and it really goes a long way. You'll be amazed, you know, that, that you know, and I actually picked this up from Coach K at Duke. Uh, they practice their timeouts on a regular basis. And when you watch the games on TV, it's really neat because you can see, um, the practice in action. You know, you can see their timeouts are so crisp, um, and, and the communication is, is just so clear and concise, and there's confidence about the whole huddle. So um, that's something I definitely recommend doing on a daily basis. Uh, number 12, and last one, have a station series called Daily Dozen. And this will drill how you'll cover ball screens, down screens, transition defense, um, it's really a defensive uh, station series. Um, it's it's three stations, and you run them for four minutes apiece. Uh, this has taken on many shapes and forms. I actually got this. Uh, I, I spent a year on a on a Division One bench um, as an as an assistant. I did a lot of player development and operations for the team, but I, I worked specifically uh, with the post players. And our associate head coach at the time, he he uh, really instilled this. He, he thought the Daily Dozen was a, a very important thing, and he actually got this from uh, his time at the professional level. And they did it, you know, they they do it a lot at the professional level, especially in international basketball. Um, and this, you know, like I said, takes on a lot of shapes and forms, but specifically, you know, different times of the season, it can really address your defensive philosophy. So in the first couple of weeks, maybe first month of preseason. You know, you run your daily dozens every day, every other day for, you know, four minutes apiece. And, it, you know, this is how we're going to cover this screen. This is how, you know, our footwork is on this. Or this is how we're going to organize our transition defense. Or, you know, it, you can really hammer home your philosophy uh, on defense in really short 
in small uh, segments. You know, you can you don't have to have your whole team out there and half of them are falling asleep and forget it. You know, you can drill them down in four minutes a piece and then rotate them through. Um, it also gives a little ownership to your assistant coaches. So when your assistants are responsible for one of the segments in Daily Dozen, you know, they really do a wonderful job of, of teaching and getting to know the players. And, you know, I remember one time during a game, you know, having done one of the segments in Daily Dozen, I was, you know, up coaching, you know, during the game saying, all right, we worked on this the other day. This is this, this is that, you know, and the other form it takes is it's, it helps to, to kind of, um, pare down the scouting report. You know, instead of throwing a million things at the whole whole team five on five the day before a game, you know, you can work in if you know you're doing some advanced scouting on an opponent. You know, you can throw in a couple of different screens and things that they the kids will need to cover against a certain opponent in your daily dozen, and you're really working on scouting um, that way without having to just walk through the scouting report on the day before the game or the morning of the game in your walkthrough. Um, and I, I found that went a long way. It really helped, especially toward the end of the season where, you know, kids were really used to certain screens and how do we cover it and our philosophy. And then when multiple teams started running uh, the same offense, you know, our, our guys were all over it. We didn't have to break down the whole set. You know, they were jumping on it and they knew exactly how to cover these screens. So when we did the scouting report, you know, they were right into it and they, you know, basically answering our questions before we could get them out. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the postseason segment of it, too, I, I found that it really helps to to tighten up the philosophies as you go into a postseason, a one-and-done situation where, if, you know, you lose, you go home. Um, it's nice that everybody's on the same page. It's a good refresher. You know, these are the things we're going to do. It helps, you know, when you shorten practice, it's only 12 minutes. So, you know, you don't have to spend 20 to 30 minutes on defense. You can you know, rotate them through station style. Um, and I think it's a, it's a very handy. Um, so hope you, uh, hope you learned a little bit from this definite dozen. Um, I, this certainly isn't, you know, the only 12 things I've learned over the years, but these are really 12 things that, you know, I, I said to myself when I put this to paper uh, a couple months ago, I think about six months ago when I did it, uh, I said, you know, what are the 12 things I wish somebody had told me uh, the first week I, I, I took my first head coaching job and, you know, looking back on it, you know, this is kind of a script that I've gone through and, and certainly, you know, I am open to any, um, you know, comments or questions or any, you know, additions to this list, you know, maybe we can, you know, make it the Baker's dozen 13 or 15 or 20 things I wish I knew back then. Um, so please feel free to comment, um, you know, leave your definite dozen if you want, um, But uh, that's it for my podcast tonight. Uh, Again, I encourage you to log on to our website, www.hoopassist.com. My guy, Nick, in New York City, he's doing a wonderful job. Uh, I've got a few blogs on there that I really love and, you know, right now doing a lot of player development stuff. So, you know, I I really think this is going to be a very useful tool uh, for coaches at all levels. And I really hope you contribute to it. I thank you for your time and uh, I wish you all the best of luck this season.